Hello, everybody. My name's Dustin Pischel, and today's guest is Barry Katz. Barry's an Emmy and a Grammy-nominated TV film record producer, talent manager, and podcast host. Barry has managed Louis C.K., Whitney Cummins, Nick Swartzen, Tracy Morgan, Bill Burr, Jim Gaffigan, Dave Chappelle, and many more extraordinary stand-up comedians. Barry has sold 39 stand-up comedy specials, helped create three TV shows, brokered 100 TV development deals, executive produced over 50 different documentaries, specials, reality shows, and scripted series. Barry is one of the most powerful individuals in show business, Please welcome my great friend, ba- the amazing Barry Katz. All right, I made the cut. I can't believe it. I can't believe those credits. Who is that person? <laughs> so, um, I start off, well, actually, no, you're not a comedian, so I usually start off every episode by asking the comedian what's the worst heckler you ever had, but I forgot you're not a comedian. So, um, so... If anyone doesn't know... But, 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 but Dustin, just to let you know, I, I get heckled all the time. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, on the phone. Yeah. In person, uh, when I'm taking meetings. The biggest thing is, you know, to answer that question that you weren't going to ask me because I'm not a comedian, but mm-hmm. I, you should know two things. I started as a stand-up comedian. Oh, yeah. And, and, number, and number one, number two is... Um, I get I get heckled all the time by comedians in a very unique way because every comedian it seems does an impression of me. Yeah, and oh. so they're always they're always making fun of me uh, <laughs> doing my voice and and doing things like that. But I want to tell you the craziest thing that happened to me when I was doing stand up. Oh. you don't mind. Oh, it's fine. I'd love to hear it. So I was working in New England where you are. Mm-hmm at uh, some uh, comedy club I can't really remember right now but it was somewhere on the south shore of Boston and I was hosting and I was the kind of comedian who uh, back then I did probably you know half or two thirds material and a half or or a third crowd work and this particular night I was just killing with the crowd work I mean it was amazing one of the best shows I ever had and it's in the beginning of the show before you know I bring out the first act mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of a darker darkish room and I can't really see the crowd totally but it's probably about 200 people there and I see that somebody sort of gets up and they knock all the drinks off the table and cause a big commotion and I st- I couldn't see the person and I started just um, you know sort of uh, razzing them and, and saying things about how you know jokes about how they shouldn't drink and drive uh, I probably did a stock line when the glass broke of something mm-hmm. like you know those contact lenses can be really tough to put in mm-hmm. or you know, all kinds of things. And, and the crowd just goes silent. The more I'm going after this guy, which I can't, I can't really see, it's just a shadow, the more people are silent. And then I stop with him, I start doing some material, silent. I start working crowd work, silent, 
Yeah. So I've, I've done eight minutes on killing, and the last two minutes mm-hmm. on dying. Yeah. And I'm like, what happened? And I just bring on, when you're hosting, you can just bring on the act, and hopefully the show gets better, and, and then you get another chance when you come back. And I remember I went to the back of the room, and I'm sitting here on the head, and I'm really down. And I remember uh, this waitress sat down next to me, and uh, I brought like a drink or something, some water. And I'm like, what happened in there? I don't understand. I was doing so well. And it's just, and they stopped. She's like very couldn't you couldn't see you couldn't see what was in the audience. Mm-hmm. I said no, I couldn't. Well, what's happening? The guy who stood up and knocked over all the glasses, he's blind. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and so yeah. and so I was like, oh my god, how am I going to recover from this? What am I going to do? And then I got a great idea, and I snuck around the back of the table and kneeled down and with and I took him aside and I said listen I want to apologize for uh, for uh, shit on, shitting on you like that he yeah. said oh no worries. no worries I loved it I said can I ask you a favor the crowd really hates me now and I need your help with something can you help me with something he said sure anything and I go into his ear and I whisper in his ear <laughs> and he's like okay no problem and I get on stage and I start doing my thing, working, and, and I, I do some joke, and that, um, and then I talk about how I, you know, you know how I, I started doing poorly, and uh, things aren't going well for me now. And I was wondering, um, could anybody in the crowd give me a ride home? <laughs> and the bl- the blind guy stands up and says, "I will." Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> And the crowd just applauded wildly, and I had the back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sort of like um crazy um like how like it's so hard like because a lot of times you can't eat like well um I've never performed in a club though I performed in person but never in a club but like I is it like that dark is it really that dark a lot of the time? Well, the thing is, a comedian as a stand-up comedian. There's things that you can control. You can mm-hmm. control that you write, direct, executive produce, and perform and act in your own show. Mm-hmm. That's what you can control every time. What you can't control as an artist in the beginning stages of your career, and even sometimes in the middle stages of your career, you're hired, you're being paid an amount of money, and you're going into a, a place that you trust that they know what they're doing and they've set it up a certain way. But every brain trust of every comedy club has their own philosophy of how they set things up. Like if you go to an improv, improvs are more brighter and the crowd is more, you can see the crowd more. Yeah. Then another comedy club chain might like their their crowds darker and just the mm-hmm. stage lit up better. Yeah. There's some comedy clubs that when somebody heckles, 
they go right to them and say, excuse me, sir, you can't talk yeah. during the show, and if you do, we're going to have to ask you to leave. Other clubs just let people heckle, and it keeps going on and on. And you'll notice the bigger you get as a stand-up comedian, the more you control the variables of the stage. So in other words, if you see Bill, per- Bill Burr at the, I believe it's called, I'm going blank, the O2 Arena in uh, London, he knows exactly how that room is configured because he scouts it out, he knows what's there, he knows how many balconies there are, he knows how the crowd is. He knows that he can control the lighting if he wants it lighter or darker, he can do any way he wants with his lighting person. He knows he can control the sound. He knows he can have bouncers there so if people talk, he can have them taken out. He controls how the stage is set, if there's a curtain in back of him that's bigger. So yes, so the answer to your question is when you're there in the beginning, you can't control as many of the variables, so you have to control how great you are as a mm-hmm. performer. Yeah. Yeah, like, um, I'm starting to get to the point where, like, I'm trying to, like, learn it. I actually, I don't know why. I guess some people don't like them a 12-year-old doing stand-up comedy. So, I, a few times they have gone, like, hecklers. Yeah, I mean, they, it's not that they don't like you. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that they, um, well, first of all, the other comedians are going to be really supportive of you. Yeah. They're going to be really... Because, you know, their thought process is in the back of their mind, this kid can't hurt me. Mm-hmm. Even if this even if this kid comes in here and uh, Chuck Lorre from Two and a Half Men is yeah. making a redo of the series and wants to hire him, it doesn't matter. I'm an African-American 37-year-old comedian. They're not going to cast me in that anyway, so it's it's mm-hmm. okay. This guy is, even if this guy gets the Kimball show, he's getting it because he's 12 and he's great. He's not getting it because he's, you know, 40 and great. That's the thing about Dustin that you always have to realize, and it's a hard thing to realize at, at your stage of the game. But once you realize this, and once you come to the realization of it, the better you'll be and the more you'll understand the business is the fact that this. When you go on stage and you get attention, okay, mm-hmm. you're getting attention because you're getting laughs with your jokes mm-hmm. and you're 12. It's like an anomaly. It's like a it's like a novelty. Mm-hmm. You, you don't see it that often. It's like, like a car accident. You don't mm-hmm. see them that often. That's why you slow down and you watch. Mm-hmm. But if you were 40 years old and going on stage at that comedy club doing the same kind of material... Mm-hmm no one would notice you okay and so the key for you as a comic and any comedian i don't care what age you are is to have your content and your writing and your comedy be so extraordinary that they'd be looking at you if you were 12 or 80 or 40 or 30 or 20 Mm -hmm. or if you were you know uh any uh any ethnicity, any any gender, mm-hmm. they just be like that person is extraordinarily funny, yeah. mm-hmm. and and that's what you should always think about, even from the very start of your career to to very late. Yeah. Okay, that sounds like good advice. So um, so so at like the Boston Comedy Club when. Um, so when you won the Boston Comedy Club, 
Um, but for you, for the audience members who don't know this, he Barry Katz had a annual um Barry Katz roast. What was the best roast you have ever got there? so many roasts that have been so incredible um i guess i always remember um i always uh remember the roast where jeffrey ross used to host and um and he would always uh it was like uh it was like a warm-up for every roast that he would ever do in the future you know he just had a very kind and gentle way about him on stage and also a way to just destroy you mm-hmm. as he was building you up yeah. and um but i also love the roasts hosted by uh rich foss as well mm-hmm. who was uh more of a you know a darker kind of more you know forceful energy um but the biggest thing I loved all of them because I always loved when people made fun of me. I don't know what it was. I've always loved that. I've always found it funny. And, um, and you know, the, probably the clip that I, I watched the most recently is, uh, because Patrice O'Neill, the late Patrice O'Neill, uh, started at the club and, um, and, um, in New York City, and he worked with me when I was in Boston. Um, just seeing him get up there, and uh, you know, not always really what I thought of as a traditional kind of roaster, but he did a tremendous job, and uh, he seemed to shit on everybody equally. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, di- like something I like, I actually sort of know about roast because um. Well, um, hearing another comedian roast, you remember I was listening to the podcast of Industry Standard when you had Bill Burr on and he was just shitting on you because you owe him $70. Yeah. Have you ever paid him back? I've tried to pay him back many times. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I, I finally stuffed the money uh, in his pocket and I played a practical joke on him. Oh. Or, um, where I folded the bills inside and had some dollar bills on the outside, and uh, and he thought I gave him three dollars. <laughs> um, but yeah, he as he says on the podcast, you know, I always try to give it back to him, but he, mm-hmm. you know, even back there in Boston, but he just said, he said no, mm-hmm. you know, he was too pr- proud. Yeah. So actually, um, something this question just came to my mind right now. So. When you owned the Boston Comedy Club, it was in New York. So why did you name it the Boston Comedy Club? Because I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I was I was doing a lot of stuff in Boston, and I just thought it would be cool to, you know, stand out from the rest of the people who were mm-hmm. all New York based and try to do something different. Yeah. And my first show there, my first comedian on stage was Louis C.K. He was 18 years old, and he hung up the wires and fixed the sound system and helped me set up. Wow, that's so crazy. It's so crazy. Like, something I... It's sort of crazy how, like, a lot of the successful comedians, how young they start. Yeah, it's because... 
look, you get a head start. Mm-hmm. Look, if you keep doing what you're doing, yeah. I mean, you'll be 22 years old. You'll be doing it 10 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's you'll have 10 years on everybody who's mm-hmm. starting. So it's like if you do something over and over again, Dustin. Yeah. You you can't help but get better at it. I don't yeah. even care if you're shitty at it. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't possibly not get better at it. Every single thing you do. I think of my sons and the phases that certain times he's been through. Like mm-hmm. he, like uh, I, I mean, my uncle was the number one expert on magic and Houdini in the world and owned mm-hmm. the water torture case and all those kind of things. And and my son Asher, who's now. Um, going to be 16 well, you know he'd just be in front of a mirror just like this with the card just no card and just yes. and then there'd be a card wow and no card card and then it'd fuck it up and then he'd <laughs> just again and then he'd just be like no card card no card card and he'd just do it hundreds and hundreds of times uh over and over again and um to get it right and when he got it right a hundred times in a row then he knew that he was ready to do the trick for something. The same with a card trick, you know, yeah. like a, had to like make it work like a hundred times in a row before he would even try it. And even then, sometimes, you know, it, it might not go well. And that's the thing about, you know, comedy is like you have to just keep, mm-hmm. you always have to just keep figuring out a way to do doing it you have to figure out a way to keep doing it even in failure the trouble is mm-hmm. when you do this with magic and mm-hmm. the mirror and it fails it's just you and the mirror mm-hmm. when you do comedy and it fails it's you and a group of people watching you fail mm-hmm. that's tough that's a tough mental mm-hmm. thing to get over yeah. but you have to understand that the audience is your writing partner. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't be in a situation where you you give the audience too much power to that they're mm-hmm. going to change your mood if it doesn't go yeah. well or if it goes well. You're mm-hmm. working towards something. It's not going to go as well when you go on stage now as it will three years from now mm-hmm. and five years from now and seven years from now and ten years from now. You're always going to get better. Yeah. You said you re- you said you read a book called Think and Grow Rich. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you you read the book. You put mm-hmm. the time in to read the book. Now, did you retain everything from the book? Um, I no. read some stuff. I retained. I'm just saying because it'd be impossible for you to retain every single thing that that person said in the oh, book yeah. unless you read it again and again and again. Mm-hmm. But you're not going to read it again and again and again. Mm-hmm. So you're just going to try to, you know, take the best points you can from it, maybe write them down, figure it out, and, and keep them with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in stand-up, that's the thing. You're going to go on. Let's say you do a joke that you really love. You really think it's funny, and it doesn't do well. Then you're going to be in your head, oh, geez, is that joke funny? I mean, I tried it, it didn't do well. I'm, I'm losing kind of confidence in that joke. Mm-hmm. Instead, of, instead of just like, just looking what happened, seeing if it might have been how you delivered the joke, seeing if the crowd might have been in a bad mood, 
and don't look at it just keep going and keep working mm-hmm. and keep trying because every joke like for instance tell me tell me one of your uh favorite jokes that you tell just um, one one of my- my do I tell you the um premise or the whole joke? You, you tell me how you say the joke, just from this moment you start the joke until uh, the moment you finish the joke. One of my favorite ones is that strip club one I told you before. Um, say it, say it to the audience from the beginning to end. So I hate um once I was a city once I was in the city with my mom, and I had to use the bathroom really badly. My mom found a place with the bathroom, a strip club. You see, my mom didn't know what a strip club was. When she saw the neon image of a stripper on a stripper pole, she thought it was a gymnastics studio. You see, I wasn't going to tell her, though. I was going to ride this way through. So when we got into the strip club, my mom was oblivious. Oh, look at all the young strippers. I mean, look at all the young gymnastics. Good for you, girls. And look at their middle-aged father supporting them. Good for you guys. All the middle-aged guys ran a, ran away. They're like, "Oh shit, is that my wife?" Um, you see, then I had to go to the bathroom, and when I came back, I couldn't find my mom. I was worried. What if she got a lap dance? So I called it for her. Mom, where are you? Oh, hi, honey. I'm just in the ladies' room. And you know it takes a woman five plus hours to use the bathroom. So I was in for the long haul. I would have been excited except for the fact that the bouncer was glaring at me. I was waiting for my mom from 9 p.m. to 10 in the morning. When 7 a.m. rolled around, the morning strippers came in. It was basically like the open mic, but for strippers. One of the strippers was for my 600-pound life. Another one of the strippers was a 267-year-old conjoined twin. I had the world's first anti-erection. My penis went into my body. It went into my stomach. It stayed there for 18 days.
that you have in my mind that again this is just me looking at it any there could be a hundred people look at it differently i'm just yeah i'm i'm one person's opinion so i just want to share that with you i this is my feeling so the next premise that hold that has to hold your your comedy together is that your mom is not educated about the world yeah you know so that's the second premise you have mm-hmm. to sell the audience on mm-hmm. is that your mom has no idea of how the world works and what's mm-hmm. in the world because if she doesn't know if she doesn't know what a strip club looks like mm-hmm. then she pretty much has been living in like uh an igloo for a mm-hmm. long time yeah. so you have to see it so you have to sell the audience that your mom is naive, that your mom is a very conservative, um, you know, person. Mm-hmm. In my mind, in my mind, first of all, before I go into anything else of this, mm-hmm. uh, I want you to know, truly, uh, I know people who are 40 who can't write like this. Oh, thank so, you. So the, the way you're, the way you're, uh, the way you roll over the mm-hmm. story and the jokes and keep rolling it over, there's just you know it's like it's like you're, it's like you're just you know jab 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 uppercut jab 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 uppercut. It's like yeah. it's really a tactical, beautiful mm-hmm. way you're doing the comedy. Mm-hmm. How I think you could even get a bigger laugh and sell the audience more because it's all about. You're going to get laughs no matter what because mm-hmm. the crowd's going to support you, and that's the difficult thing for you. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you are getting laughs because you're funny, but a lot of times you're getting laughs and support because nobody wants to let a 12-year-old bomb on stage and feel mm-hmm. like they're responsible for a kid yeah. taking his own life at 12. Yeah. So, so they want it. They want to be. They want to be happy. They want to be excited. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they don't want some, you know, person like yourself just feeling like, woe is me afterwards. And mm-hmm. that would be a really, you know, upsetting thing to an audience mm-hmm. to know that they hurt a kid's feelings. Yeah. Or So so the way to, to sell them at the top that, you know... Um, there's a few things that are interesting that you could do. Uh, and again, these are minimal little things. Like it mm-hmm. might be a three second adjustment here or there, but mm-hmm. first of all, establishing your character and who you are. So up top in the bit, your mom is looking for a bathroom for you. But later on in the bit, you're more grown up than you're telling the world you are. Yeah. Because if your mom is looking for a bathroom for you, then that says that you're, you know, you're letting her do that, you're whatever. But mm-hmm. if you were to set it up saying that, you know, uh, I was in town with my mom, uh, let's say you said, um, I mean, this would even be more uh, of a shock. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, we're, um, we went into Boston to go to, on Sunday, to go to a church service. Oh. Um, just to give you some backstory, my mom is a very 
is a very very conservative god fearing mm-hmm. woman and mm-hmm. doesn't get out doesn't get out of the house house much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we leave the we leave the service, and uh, I have to go to the bathroom. I should also yeah. tell you, that, and I'm, I'm saying this in a way that you're gonna have you would have to work it in and see yeah. if it works, mm-hmm. and you'd have to condense what I'm saying to something mm-hmm. tight like the way you do it. So, mm-hmm. but just bear with me. Yeah. Um, I should also tell you that my mom is very, very overbearing and very, uh, or, or when I say overbearing, my mom is very kind of controlling. I'm, you know, uh, obviously I'm older than my years, but she's controlling. Some Something to be said to get that across so that when she says, hey, listen, don't worry, I'll find the bathroom for mm-hmm. you. Yeah. It's like you're just, you're, you, people know that you're not, you know, it's not, you don't want your mom to find the bathroom for uh-huh. you. It's like whatever, it's just, yeah. So, but she doesn't know what she's doing, and she doesn't know anything about the world. But you do, because mm-hmm. you're. You see, what you're establishing in this bit is, what you're establishing in this bit is, later on instead of early, is that you know what a strip club looks like. Mm-hmm. You're comfortable in a strip club. Mm-hmm. You're, you're inside. You're looking. You're whatever. Your mom thinks it's a gymnastics yeah. studio. So you're like a you're like a man trapped in a boy's body. Yeah. To me, that's how your comedy plays. It's fascinating, at least in this bit. It's like you are like, it's like you're. It's it's hilarious to me. <laughs> Thank you. But I think it would be more of a shock to the audience, you know, to understand like you're to to really understand that you're. Your your mom is a is more conservative, and she doesn't get out of the house. Then it mm-hmm. would make more sense to them yeah. and be more believable that she would not know what a strip club yeah. is. Because when I hear the bit, even though I'm laughing hysterically, and I know some people listening might say, "Oh, well, Barry, you know, you suspend disbelief, and you just, you know, this is how comedy works, and it doesn't always have to be the way it is." But I always believe that if you if it's po- if it's possible to set things up in the best way without ruining the joke or the formula, then it's going to help the audience with the transition to take that ride with you on that wave. And so then you're going in. And this is what's fantastic. You got the strip club. Uh, you got the gymnastics joke. You got the uh, young joke the middle-aged joke is that my wife joke the bathroom joke uh the long the long haul is that the long haul is that what it was what's, what's um well um wait did you say a long haul what's after the bathroom joke um oh yeah i call for my mom yeah, but something in a hall, something, wasn't there something in a hall or something? Oh, yeah, I went down the hall to go to the bathroom. Yeah, okay, so you got that hallway there, you got the bouncer, then you got the, now you got the next thing. So everything is playing out mm-hmm. perfectly yeah. the way in real life a person would imagine that it's mm-hmm. coming. But then you get out of the bathroom and you can't find your mom. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're walking through the crowd of the strip club, mom, mom, <clears throat> and um, 
and but she's not there. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the part where I'm a little bit. I sort of lost. I'm I sort of uh, even though I'm still laughing and with you because I love what you do and I, mm-hmm. I think it's so incredible. I'm a little lost in the routine because up to this point, it's real to me. I mean, mm-hmm. it feels real. Yeah. It feels like this happened to you. Mm-hmm. Really feels real. Mm-hmm. But now you can't find your mom. Okay. And that doesn't feel real that you can't find your Like your mom is going to be this person who you know, takes you to the bathroom, tells you where the bathroom is, and she's not going to wait for you. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. You know, it, like your mm-hmm. mom would never leave you for 24 hours, and mm-hmm. you would never, you know, no parent in their in their right mind would mm-hmm. ever be away from their kid for that long. Mm-hmm. And she, she knew where she brought you, she knew where you went in, and she knew where you were coming out. There's mm-hmm. one bathroom in every place normally. Yeah every establishment you know where the person is going mm-hmm. they can't get out on another way they go in that way they come out that way so now you have this point here where you're you can't find your mom okay which which might be believable to me but the fact that you can't find her for 24 hours isn't believable to me uh-huh. now it's kind of funny but whatever i thought you were going with like uh you were going was that your mom went to the bathroom and she you know and obviously in a woman's bathroom in a strip club it's mm-hmm. like different from a man's bathroom in yeah. a strip club a man's bathroom in a strip club i've heard <laughs> uh, is uh it's like there's very few people in there it's yeah. like you know whatever a woman's bathroom in a strip club like all the strippers are in there they're coming mm-hmm. in and out so i visualize a joke where you're saying something where your mother is in the room with all yeah. the strippers to me, okay. that would be hilariously funny if you okay. could figure out something where she was, you know, she's in the bathroom, I'm in the hallway, I can overhear her talking to the girls. Wow, that's a really, really beautiful costume for <laughs> gymnastics. I never knew that you could wear uh, a G-string when you're doing uh, the balance beam or whatever <laughs> it is. Or, or it might be like, uh, you know, this is really beauty costume i never knew you could wear a g-string uh doing the floor exercises like that um listen and i never knew that sometimes they put the balance beam vertically and it's metal Uh, you know i just picture you going with that theme you know where your mom you're waiting out in the hallway and you hear your mom talking to these girls and then and then while she's talking you venture out into the strip club Mm-hmm. And you know, and she doesn't realize that and you're out there. Um, and and to me, like, uh, well, the funny part is, is like, if you are going to the bathroom there, why wouldn't why not just go with the thing where, you know, uh, it is it is noontime or morning, and this mm-hmm. is the time when, the, you know, apparently I came on the time when the open when the yeah. when the new strippers. Uh, change over to the old strippers mm-hmm. and when i say the new strippers the daytime is like an open mic night mm-hmm. so i got the i got to see the best of two worlds i got to see two worlds the open mic night world and the 
women that my mom was hanging out with or whatever it is and then you're just then you then it makes sense and then you're going with the um the 267 pound conjoined twins which is hilarious i don't think you have to mention the weight of the conjoined twins that you already mentioned oh no i mentioned the weight of another stripper the 600 pound stripper and then that was a separate one you said 600 pound stripper and then you said 267 pound conjoined twins oh no 670 year old i said i meant Oh, 67 year old. Okay, I got it. Okay, I made, I, made, I made a mistake then. Oh, it's fine. Which is a great joke. <laughs> and then you got the joke about the anti, um, the anti thing and, you know, <laughs> your penis being inverted. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's all hilarious. Thank you. So, so, so the thing is, is that all I'm sharing with you is that as you're working on it, Try not to mix real with unreal. Okay. You know, try to mix it so it feels like it really happened. Okay. Like everything that you said really happens because you, you know, it seems like your comedy and who you are from what you've talked to me about before are based in reality. Yeah, it's all now, just exaggerated. It's, it's just exaggerated reality, mm-hmm. but a lot of it feels like it could happen. Mm-hmm. If you set it up right, it could happen. If your mm-hmm. mom really isn't doesn't knowledgeable about the world, mm-hmm. it could happen that she thinks that a strip club is a gymnastics club. Mm-hmm. It could happen that you went in that time of day mm-hmm. when the open micers and the real girls are coming. Mm-hmm. It could happen that she waited outside the place for you and she doesn't really understand. And then mm-hmm. after you're in there, she realizes she has to go to the bathroom, she goes to the mm-hmm. bathroom, and then she's there with all the girls. Yeah. It could happen. Mm-hmm. It could happen that the open mic night has a 600, my from my 600 pound life. Mm-hmm. It could happen that there's co-joined Quinn's mm-hmm. doing a strip club. Everything's happened. It could happen that you have the feeling like your penis was inverted. <laughs> you know, these are things that, yeah. you know, could happen. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, and this is your, your feeling. And so it's real, but it mm-hmm. might not be real as opposed to like, let's say a Boston comedian mm-hmm. like Stephen Wright, mm-hmm. his comedy is not based in reality most of the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. You know, I, I have the oldest typewriter in the world that types mm-hmm. in pencil. Well, no, it doesn't. Yeah. You know, I went to a place that I know, uh, uh I went to a place to, um, going to get something to eat the sign said breakfast anytime mm-hmm. so i so i ordered french toast during the renaissance no you didn't mm-hmm. you know but it's funny yeah i went to a store that i knew was open 24 hours i went up the guy was locking up i said why are you locking up the sign says open 24 hours he looked at me he said not in a row that didn't mm-hmm. happen but it's funny yeah. You know, his, uh, I, I, you know, I, I was robbed, uh, or no, uh, I was robbed. They took everything in my apartment. I walked in, everything in my apartment was replaced with an exact replica. No, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. I went up to my roommate. I said, listen, did you see what happened here? He said, who are you? That didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's, but it's hilariously funny. Mm-hmm. And it's his take on the world. And it's his, his mind the way he mm-hmm. sees the world and he was the first comedian i ever saw on stage 
in Boston at Crossroads in Kenmore Square, which is still there. And to this day, his comedy means so much to me. Mm-hmm. And I love his comedy. Now, ordinarily, I like comedy based in real life. Mm-hmm. But he's one of the few guys that I love that his comedy is almost based mm-hmm. in fantasy. And it's mm-hmm. wonderful fantasy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, some comedians, like, I like it when comedians, like, um, a philosopher first. Like, that's, like, really what makes you from... That really gets you to the next level. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of modern-day philosophers, you know, and if you watch past comedians like George Carlin Mm -hmm. and... Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor and Bill Cosby, um, you know, were, you know, had a lot of modern-day philosophy. Mm -hmm. Lenny Bruce, more political, but still a philosophy of Mm -hmm. the way the world works in life. Um, and newer comedians like Bill Burr have their yeah. philosophies and Je- Jim mm-hmm. Jeffries and, but there's also, you know, that's, what's great about comedy. Same with music. There's all different kinds you like. Sometimes you like the, the slow music. You like that slow, beautiful song, uh, from Lady Gaga, you know, the, sh- you know, shallow from star is born. And then other times you like you know, heavy rock and roll or Eminem or Jay-Z or whatever it might be. Everybody has their own thing. And in comedy, it's the same thing. There's all different kinds of Mm -hmm. styles. And um, look, Rodney Dangerfield was one of my all-time favorite comedians. He tells jokes in four seconds. Four seconds. I mean, think about that. Think about And he tells a story in four seconds. Yeah, I was an ugly. What how do you think? I was an ugly kid. Uh, my dad used to tie a pork chop around my neck just to get the dog to play with me. <laughs> that tells you that that tells you that my dad wasn't a fan of mine. Yeah. Uh, he did cruel things to me. I was ugly, and the dog wouldn't play with me unless I had something to hang yeah. from my neck. Even other things he'd do. You know, yeah. I uh, I went to the bartender. I said, "Surprise me." He pulled out a picture of my wife. <laughs> yeah. Four, four seconds, he's got a joke that tells you he drinks during the day mm-hmm. or at night, whenever. He's mm-hmm. a drinker. He's going to the bar alone without his wife. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't have a good relationship with his wife. He goes mm-hmm. to the bartender, says, surprise me. The bartender pulls out a picture of his wife. That means that the bartender is having an affair with his wife. Oh. And that Rodney didn't, and Rodney didn't know it. But it could be anything. It could be like, oh, my wife's a bad cook. I tell you, mm-hmm. I don't think meat. I don't think meatloaf should glow in the dark. Yeah. Well, it tells you that he's unhappy with his wife's cooking. Mm-hmm. Bad cook. Meatloaf is radioactive, and mm-hmm. uh, then he goes with something else. Yeah. I mean, I don't think the flies should have chipped in to buy a new screen door. Mm-hmm. So you know, that's fantasy. Yeah. But, but it's still the jokes, and I, and, and I always loved him because he was able to tell a story and a joke in four or five seconds. Yeah. Um, but everybody's different, and it's okay to like all different kinds of comedy. Mm-hmm, yeah. Like, a lot of comedy I like is sort of, like, just stories, like, like Burt Kreischer and, like, Bill Burt, well, some of, well, when Bill Burr does do stories and when Dave Chappelle does stories, like, how they just, it's sort of like they're bringing you along with them. 
That's right. It's their, but it's just like they were telling a story to a group of friends. Yeah. And that's the mistake a lot of comedians make is that they'll try to overperform something or underperform something. They'll either be too low key or too over the top. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of times it's just best to tell the story how you would tell it to your friends and how you would tell it to a group of five or ten friends at a table in a, in a restaurant or something like that and just be who you are and tell it who you are and how you are. Yeah, granted, you're on stage in front of a thousand people and you have to maybe maybe uh, project your voice a little bit more and do whatever, but the bottom line is is that I think you're always best when you're just delivering things the way you normally would unless of course you're doing a character like a Larry the Cable guy or a or a um, Bobcat Goldthwait or a, in the past Sam Kinison or Mitch Hedberg you know playing like a kind of a character then it's a different thing yeah well I think you're like who you should be on stage is just you exaggerated that's basically your voice that's a that's a that's a great uh, that's a great thing to say. Yeah. You know, some people, as you know, because you've seen a lot of comedians, mm-hmm. sometimes people exaggerate their voice mm-hmm. beyond their voice, and, yeah. and that's the thing that can get them in trouble. But I agree with you. Yeah. So um, thank you. So um. You have a question for me. You had a question you wanted to ask me. Okay. You were telling me you wanted to ask me a question. Remember long. Um, you want me to find the question? I gotta find the question. Oh yeah. Um. So, so if anyone doesn't know, well, I actually already told everyone, but Barry used to be the only owner of the Boston Comedy Club. So, what's the worst heckler a comedian ever got there? I will tell you that um, the worst heckle that I remember. It wasn't necessarily the worst heckle, but it was the funniest one. Mm-hmm. So um, there used to be a guy who ran the door uh, at the club. His name was Louis Schaefer, and he he only owned blue blazers, white Oxford shirts, jeans, loafers, white socks, black belt. He had the same outfit that he wore for every single show, wow. and his tagline was... Louis Schaefer, not gay. <laughs> and that's all he would do. Every line he would do, Louis Schaefer, not gay. Ladies, have, but he was very effeminate, but it was always Louis Schaefer, not gay. Anyway, to make a long story longer, he was a great barker. And a barker means, in for those of you who don't know, when you're outside a club where there's a lot of street traffic, people walking back and forth, they're outside the club saying, "Hey, we got a great show tonight. Come on in. I'll give you, a, I'll give you a free admission." When another person says, "Hey, forget it, ladies, you're beautiful. Come on in. I'll give you, yeah. I'll give you free admission. Just come on in. Have enjoy the show." And he would just get people in the club, no matter what. He was so convincing just to get people in the club. And this one time, Dane Cook's on stage. Ooh, and, nice. <laughs> and <laughs> he gets on stage and like within two minutes of getting on stage a guy comes and he sits up front and he's got two grocery bags like this what, in his what? hands you know just two grocery bags oh, okay and he's looking up at Dane and Dane looks down at him 
And the guy looks at him and says, You better be funny, man. You're freezing a little bit. It's like, because I got ice cream. Oh, sorry, you freeze. So he's worried about his ice cream melting. Oh, okay. So, sorry, I didn't hear the thing because um, you're thin freezed. What'd you say? Um, you're thin freezed, so I couldn't hear what you said. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll say, I'll tell. I'll say it again, so you can edit this. So, so uh, Dane Cook is on stage, and the person who was the barker uh, was for letting anybody in, and in like halfway through Dane's act. This guy comes and sits down in the front row with two grocery bags. <laughs> and Dane stops his act and he looks at the guy. The guy looks at him and the guy looks up at Dane and says, you better be funny, man. <laughs> and Dane looks down at him and says, why is that? And the guy looks up at him and says, because I got ice cream. He was afraid his ice cream oh, was going to melt. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh, some people so, like at so, shows. That, so that was the that was the weirdest thing that ever happened. Yeah, to me. like like, have you ever had to get on stage to stop a heckle? Like, ever has that ever happened? Ever had to stop something? Yeah, there was a guy who pulled out a knife on Dennis oh, Leary uh, in the crowd. He pulled a knife, and the crowd just went to either side. Mm-hmm. And it was just Dennis Leary on stage, and the guy stood up with a knife. Do you think it's funny making fun of me? Ooh. And I I don't know why I did this or what I was thinking, but I just walked up to the guy about 10 feet away from him, and I said, I said, sir, um, I'd like to request that you, you know, put the knife away because it doesn't make sense doing anything here because you have about 200 people that are witnesses. So, if you just put the knife away and and just take a deep breath and just realize this is comedy and we're just doing a comedy show and I'm sorry if we offended you. And um, just uh, take it easy and just, uh, if you could take off uh, from here and come back another night when you're feeling better and and, and promise we we won't uh, do anything to offend you. Anything I could to get the guy out of uh the place and he left and then we resumed the show did he ever come back like you said no i knew he wouldn't come back but uh i just wanted to do something to make him feel safe because you know the thing about some you know the thing about situations like that look there's many ways to handle things another guy who was like a trained marine would just go attack the guy Mm -hmm. take the knife out of his hand you know and contain him on the floor and uh another person would be like yelling at him saying hey who do you think you are put that knife away another person would be like running away mm-hmm. you know everyone handles things differently how they feel in the situation it's going to go the best for them and that was instinctually what i felt would be best for that situation it might not be the right thing to do in every situation like that mm-hmm. but in that particular one it worked Okay, so think so. Um, the podcast episode, well, each clip of the podcast is only able to go up to an hour. So, thank you so much for coming on. And before we go, is there any social media you would like to link? 
Well, yes, sir. I just want to let you know that, uh, first of all, feel free to edit out any swears that I've said during this podcast. Oh, oh it's um, fine. I've had um, plenty of people that swear on my podcast. Okay. And since I think I have about three minutes left, I just want you to say this to you. Number one, I'm going to tell you where people can reach me. They can reach me uh, at Barry Katz on Instagram or Twitter. Or they can reach me if they want to ask me any questions, let's say on Cameo. Or if they want, I'm starting something called the Blueprint for Success in the comedy business. And they can check that out at BarryCats.com. That should be launching within the next 30 days about helping young comedians, old comedians, everybody in the comedy business get to the next level. I've spent about probably over $100,000 and probably two years of my life building this thing and making over 300 hours of content for people. And I'm excited about it because I have the industry standard podcast, which is uh, free for everybody, but I wanted to do something that sort of links people between that and having more time with me and more time to be able to do things with me versus like the one-on-one consulting stuff I do. Um, Lastly, I just want to tell you something. Um, You are an inspiration to anybody of any age anywhere in the world because what you figured out is something that people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, all the way through their life struggle with. They struggle figuring out what it is that's going to make them happy, what it is that they want to do that's their passion and what they want to give their all to. They go to college, they don't understand what's happening, they don't know what they want to do, they don't know if they're going to be successful at it, they don't have any incentive, they just don't know. And God, uh, or whatever, whoever you believe in, not to get spiritual, Mm -hmm. but you were blessed with the knowledge of what you want to do and what you have to do to get there to do it. And you do it, and you figure out what books to read, You go on, you figure who to watch. You're constantly taking the hours and putting them in to make yourself better and to get yourself more prepared for when that time comes. You're training every day for that big event. So when that big event happens, you're ready. And something tells me you also have an extraordinary family and a a great, great support system for you as well. And so I look at you and um, you're truly, truly blessed in how you approach your life, how you're looking at your life, and how you're looking at your career. And I just want you to know I have an enormous amount of respect for you and I'm very grateful that you allowed me to be on your podcast. Yeah, well, it was an honor having you on. And um, before we go, I'd like to talk to you about the author and thank you everybody so much for listening and goodbye everybody and have a fantastic day